So he left me a chick flick. Ken, our senior minister here, seems to think it's funny, funny, humorous, to assign the preaching intern the duty of preaching on a chick flick. And not just any chick flick. Oh no! You see, this is how your pastors here at your church treat their interns. You see, each sermon in this series of Every Story Whispers His Name, Ken has revealed from the Old Testament the name of Jesus being whispered in different verses. And friends, that's exactly what they are. Their verses. Let's go back. His sermons have consisted of the wounded victor from the one verse of Genesis 3.15. Or what about... The Blesser of Nations from Genesis 12, 1 through 3. Hold on, three verses. Oh my goodness. But he has assigned me, his intern, to preach the book of Ruth. <laughs> Not just a verse. Oh, no, no, no. He wants me to preach on a book that contains 85 verses. And it's not just the size of my text that will make this thing interesting. It's the story itself. He left me a chick flick, a romance novel, a story about a man and a woman getting hitched. So, Ken, from the bottom of my heart, thank you. Thank you. In all seriousness, in all seriousness, my name is Cy Huffer. And I've been the preaching intern here at Crossroads for the last eight months. My wife, Monica, and I, we, we really could not put into words how much we have appreciated the warm welcome we have felt from this church body. Since the day we set foot into this building, we have been loved by you and served by you and just welcome into your family with open arms. So sincerely thank you for the opportunity to, that you and the leadership have provided for us to learn and to serve with you. It truly has been an honor. And thank you, Ken. Now, this chick flick. Usually, to be honest, I love chick flicks. I love seeing the carefree guy pursuing the uptight girl and having to overcome some kind of misunderstanding and finally winning her heart with a great speech at the end. I love chick flicks. I love great stories of romance. Specifically, I love the story of my romance. This is my wife, Monica, here. And on our first day as freshmen at Ozark Christian... Oh, yeah, you can applaud. Sure, yes. <laughs> this is my wife, Monica, and I. And on our first day as freshmen at Ozark Christian College, our lives crossed for the very first time. I'll never forget looking across that student center and seeing this good-looking Italian girl playing ping pong. And she actually, she wasn't playing too badly. So I thought to myself, I have got to get to know her. So I asked her to play ping pong, and I thought, I'll be the good, upstanding guy and you know, not play my hardest and allow her to kind of feel like she's in the game a little bit. And then as point after point after point kept on going to her, I thought, I might have to step up my game a little bit until finally she beat me. There was no way this was going to work, dating a girl who was more athletic than me and who could beat me at stuff. So I thought I would challenge her to a real sport, tennis. Little did I know she played tennis in high school for a number of years. She wiped the floor with me. At this point, my ego was so injured that I could no longer be around a girl that beat me at everything. So I retreated my pursuit with my tail between my legs, thinking she was just out of my reach. Well, as most of you guys know, 
God did something gracious and gave me a gift of a wife who was way out of my league. Two years later, after two or three or five or seven more rejections by Monica, (laughs) I finally convinced her to go on a date with me. And then seven months later, we were married, and they lived happily ever after. Yes, thank you, yes. I just love chick flicks. Usually. But why here? Why in the Bible? See, this does, just doesn't seem to fit with me. How does this tiny book called Ruth, squeezed in between Judges and 1 Samuel, how does this book about a girl named Ruth and a guy named Boaz getting married, how does it whisper the name of Jesus? How does this book advance God's program of reconciling the entire human race, the entire universe, back into a relationship with him, rescuing all of the world from the decay that sin has brought about? Why Ruth? Why Boaz? Why a chick flick? Because friends, when I read the end of Judges, the book that sets the stage for our little love story today, the answer to the problem of sin in the world doesn't seem to be a chick flick. The book of Judges can be described as a downward spiral of disobedience. At the beginning of the book, the Israelites are finally entering into the promised land, and each tribe is given their allotment of land with their command that they were to drive out everybody living in that land. And as all the 12 different tribes begin to drive out the people, they begin to disobey. It started out small. You see, they would, they would leave one family or one group of people and not drive out everyone completely. And this led to even more sin called idol worship. And as the book goes on and on, the nation of Israel becomes even more and more corrupt. They sin against God. So he allows a foreign nation to invade them and oppress them. They cry out to God for help. He rescues. And next thing you know, they're sinning yet again. And the book ends with this statement, Judges 21, 25. In those days, Israel had no king. Everyone did as he saw fit. The culture had fallen apart. No one cared to honor or obey God. He was no longer their king. They all did whatever they saw was right in their own eyes. And this, this led to pain. For the very next verse in the Bible says this, Ruth 1, 1. In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land. Okay, you guys caught me off guard out there. Uh, Why didn't you gasp? You see, we need to stop, put our Middle Eastern Jewish hats on, and see this from a Jew's perspective at this time. Because for them, when there was a famine in the land, that meant that someone's God was not happy with his people. So let's try this again. Okay, Ruth 1.1. In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land. Good job, man. That was great. So he said, famine meant someone's in trouble. Someone made a God mad. And that meant, that meant pain. And this is exactly what we see. We see pain and suffering. Now let me make a clarifying statement here. In no way am I saying that every time you experience pain or suffering, the reason is because you were disobedient to God. That is just not true. Sometimes when we are disobedient, yes, that does lead to pain in our lives and the lives of those around us. Yet we live in a world that is filled with pain, that has fallen, and we need rescuing. 
And that is the kind of world that Ruth found herself in. Because of this famine, a Jewish man and his wife named Naomi and his two sons moved away from the land of the Israelites to settle in Moab. During this time, his two sons both married foreign women, one of whom was named Ruth. And during the famine, Naomi's husband and his two sons died, leaving three widows. Naomi decided to return home because there was nothing left in this foreign land, encouraging her two daughters-in-law, who were now widows, to remain in their homeland. One remained, the other remained with Naomi and went to Israel, and that was Ruth. In the first chapter of the book of Ruth, we see two widows in the midst of pain. They were returning to their home, and these widows, they were destined to either becoming prostitutes or beggars. There were not a lot of options for widows at that time. To Ruth, at this point in her life, things couldn't have seemed worth worse. And I don't know, looking here at this story, I don't know if maybe this is where some of you are at today. Things don't look like they're going to get any better. Maybe you've lost a job, and you have three kids that you need to feed. Maybe you and your family, you're just filled with sickness. The cancer has come back. The Alzheimer's is getting worse. You got another miscarriage, another broken bone, and the bills just keep on piling. Maybe you've seen death all around you. The death of a friend, a spouse, a child, and a father. Maybe you've been abused and the person who you should have been able to trust is the one who keeps inflicting those wounds deeper and deeper. I don't know what your pain is this morning. We've, we've all experienced pain. But I do know that this is exactly where Ruth and Naomi are at in this story. They are experiencing pain, suffering, and hardship. They're crying out to God, is there no end to this pain? Is there no end to this suffering? How long must we endure such hardship? And my question is, how does a chick flick, a romance, solve the situation? There are actually four cries of pain that we see in the first two chapters of this book. The first two cries of pain, Naomi cries out to God on behalf of her daughters-in-law. She knew the options were minimal for widows, and she was concerned for the pain they might experience if they don't get taken care of by God. In Ruth 1.8, Naomi cries out to God, saying, May the Lord show kindness to you as you have shown to your dead and to me. And in 1.9, the very next verse, she cries out again, May the Lord grant that each of you will find rest in the home of another husband. She cries out to the Lord. It's to the word Yahweh. It's the personal name of God. It's the intimate name of God. She's asking God to move, to interfere, to incarnate himself into this mess and to do something about it. And she even takes her third cry of pain a step further, actually blaming God for the situation that she has found herself in. She says in Ruth 1, 20 to 21, don't call me Naomi, she told them. Call me Mara, which means bitter, because the Almighty has made my life very bitter. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. You see the blame? The Lord has afflicted me. The Almighty has brought misfortune upon me. Maybe this is you. Have you ever thought these questions before? If God is all-powerful and all-knowing and totally and completely good, then why do bad things happen to good people? 
God knows who they are. He has the power to help them. And if he is good, then why does he allow this pain and suffering? See, this is exactly where Naomi is at in this text. She had to move away because of a famine. Her husband and two sons died, and she had to come back to her hometown completely and utterly destitute. Even Boaz, a close relative of Naomi, sees the pain and suffering these girls are in, for the fourth cry of pain comes from him. He says in Ruth 2.12, May you girls be richly rewarded by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. Four cries of pain. For kindness, for a home, a cry of blame, and for God to help these women. And what does God do? Does he care? Does he answer? Is there no end to this pain? Is there no end to the cries for help? Is there no end to the silence of God? How long must we wait? Where is God in the midst of all this pain? For the name of God occurs 23 times in the book of Ruth in 85 verses. Yet it doesn't seem as if he cares. He doesn't seem as if he cares about their cries for help, their cries to relieve their pain in the world. Then comes a guy named Boaz. As these women come back from this distant land, they look around for somewhere to find relief from their immediate pain. Ruth decides to go around to the closest barley fields to pick up whatever the harvesters have left behind. See, this was a common practice in the nation of Israel. In your field, as your harvesters went out and gathered the crops, if you dropped any on the ground or didn't have enough arms to carry everything, you had to leave that behind and allow the poor to come behind you and pick up whatever you left. It was a compassion uh, tool for the nation of Israel. So Ruth took advantage of this. She began picking up leftover grain and just happened to find herself in the field of this guy named Boaz. And this, see, this is where the chick flick begins. Boaz notices Ruth in his fields picking up grain. He goes over and says something along the lines of, Can you feel the love tonight? And Ruth responds with, Hey, I just met you, and this is crazy, but here's my number, so... Call me, maybe. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, see, there's... There's a connection between the two. Boaz tells her to not to go to any other fields, but to continue coming back to his field, and he gives her even more food to take home to Naomi. When Ruth gets home to Naomi and tells her what happens, Naomi realizes that Boaz is an eligible kinsman redeemer for Ruth. Okay, you're like, okay, stop, Sigh. Okay, what's, what's this kinsman redeemer thing? According to Old Testament law, follow me, if a man dies and leaves no sons for his wife, then his closest relative should marry the widow and have sons for the dead husband and his wife so that the son can carry on the husband's lineage. But the man, this relative, was also not only to provide sons, but provide a home for the widow so she didn't have to resort to becoming a prostitute or a beggar. Boaz was someone who could do this. So Naomi thinks, here we go, let the matchmaking begin. Girls, high school girls, here's a lesson for you this morning that we learn from this text. Allow your mothers to pick your husbands, okay? I'm just, actually, okay, yeah. No, don't, no applause on that one, that was, that was not right. 
Actually, we see the four cries of pain answered in chapter 3. Not by God, but by his people. Look at this. In the first verse, Naomi says, why should I not try to find a home for you? And so Naomi sends Ruth back to visit Boaz to ask him to be that kinsman redeemer. And then Ruth asked Boaz, hey, spread the corner of your garment over me, symbolizing that Boaz would take care of her. Boaz replied by saying, this kindness is greater than that which you showed earlier. And he sent her home with a bunch more food saying, don't go home empty-handed. Okay, did you catch all that? All four cries of pain were answered in this quick exchange. Naomi cried out to the Lord to find a home for these girls. And she takes it upon herself to find a home for Ruth. Naomi cries out for God to show kindness to Ruth. Yet Ruth shows kindness to Boaz. Boaz cries out for God to spread his wing over Naomi and Ruth. Yet Boaz actually answers this cry of pain by spreading the edge of his cloak. The edge, the wing, it's the same Hebrew word over Ruth. And finally, Naomi blames God for her pain, for bringing her back empty-handed. Yet Boaz sends Ruth back with arms filled with six measures of barley so that she wouldn't go back home empty-handed. Does God move? Does he answer? Is there no end to the pain in this world? Emphatic, yes, there is. God does answer the cries of pain through the hands and feet of his people. When people are crying out to God, where are you? Why are you silent? Is there no end to this injustice, to this suffering? It is not the absence of God that they are frustrated with that is causing all of the pain and misfortune in the world. It is the absence, get this, of his people. God has left us here on this earth to bring about his kingdom, to right all the wrongs, to bring about justice on this earth. We, the church, are God's answer to the cries of pain in this world. The summer before my sophomore year of high school, I was at a Christ and Youth Conference. And uh, this week, a number of events that occurred led me to dedicating my full-time, my life to full-time ministry. And one of the events was a preacher getting up and reciting this song. The kitchen, the kitchen smells like supper. And the dinner is ready and waiting when someone says they thought we ought to pray before we eat. And would I thank the Lord for all that he has so bountifully bestowed. Yet, please don't take too long for the, the meat is getting cold. While on the other side of town, a mother sets another table for herself and several children just as well as she is able. Yet there's not too much. Because you see, last night's man, he didn't pay too well. Will there be enough for breakfast? Well, it's really hard to tell. Am I passing by the man beside the road to Jericho? Have I cruelly snubbed the woman there as to the well I go? Am I my brother's keeper? Cup of water, did you say? Is the second mile outside my door or somewhere down the way? The news is over now, and football's on another station, when at the door appears my aunt and half of our relation, and we all remark how nice it is to have the family here this way. It is our love that binds us oh so close. If only we could stay. While in a dark and dingy room, a young girl eyes the walls around her, and she wonders if even one soul would care if in three weeks they found her. All her life she's been rejected, never had an honest friend. Is it life or mere existence? Who would care if it should end? 
Am I passing by the man beside the road to Jericho? Have I cruelly snubbed the woman there? As to the well I go, am I my brother's keeper? Cup of water, did you say? Is the second mile outside my door or somewhere down the way? The family's gone, it's quiet. And the bed is soft beneath me, but instead of sleep and dreams, my restless thoughts creep up to meet me. And somewhere in the distance, I hear hungry children cry, and a girl unloved and uncared for brings a tear into my eye. If people saw me weeping, would they think that I was mad? I would tell them I I had a nightmare or the dreams I dreamed were bad. I must gain my self-control tomorrow's Sunday school. And so bloodshot eyes on Sunday. Folks will talk a lot, you know. If a man loves not his neighbor, then it's easy now to see that he makes himself a liar if he says that he loves me. Little children, it is not your thoughts or words that proves your love to all. If your love is not an action, then it isn't love at all. Is there no end? Does God not care? How long must we wait? Church, people are crying out. This world is groaning with pain. They are sick of this old way of life. They're waiting for people to come and to insert themselves into their messes, into their pain, their addictions, their sin, their abuses, and say, you, you will not carry this alone. There is a God who loves you and who cares for you. And he has sent me here to help carry this burden and help you through whatever mess you find yourselves in. You see, the story is not over. The story does not stop there. Next, we see the name of Jesus, not just whispered, but shouted. Boaz sends Ruth home, and he tells her he has to take care of some things. Remember, Boaz is this eligible kinsman redeemer, someone who could rescue her and Naomi from their pain permanently. He's able not to just meet their needs today, but he is able to invite them into their homes and to be part of his family for forever. But there's an eensy-beensy little problem here. He isn't the closest relative. There's another guy who has the right to marry Ruth first and to buy his father, her father-in-law's land first. So we see in chapter 4, Boaz going to the city gate to try and negotiate with this man about the fate of Ruth and Naomi. Boaz asks him if he wants the land that Ruth's father-in-law has left behind. And the man says, yes. Now at this point, those reading this story would gasp. Thank you. Because, because it seems as if the chick flick is over. The supporting actor gets the girl. The evil stepsister wins. Yet Boaz then reveals the whole situation to the man. He says, if you want to buy the land, great. But guess what? That also means you've got to marry the dead man's widow and provide her a son. If you aren't willing, I am since I'm next in line. And at this point, the man gives Boaz the green light. And he says, you know what? You go for it. I can't marry the widow. And the rest is history. Prince Charming got Snow White. Chachi got Joni. Edward won Bella. And they all lived happily ever after. And the end of the book of Ruth goes something along the lines of this. So Boaz took Ruth, and she became his wife. Then he went to her, and the Lord enabled her to conceive, and she gave birth to a son. Then Naomi took the child, laid him in her lap, and cared for him. The woman living there said, Naomi has a son, and they named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse, the father 
of David. And David had a son named Solomon. And Solomon had a son named Rehoboam. And so on and so forth. Till finally, 1,300 years later, God hears the entire cosmos crying out in pain because of the fallenness of this world. And God, yet again, answers the cries of pain through the hands and feet, not of his people, but of his only son, a descendant of a guy by the name of David. He is our redeemer, someone who can rescue us from our pain, our suffering, our addiction, our sin. You see, this little story is no side narrative. Our chick flick is not some afterthought that barely made it into the Bible. It's a small story about small people, but it has huge implications for the faithfulness of one man led to the lineage of the one man who was able to bear the burden of all our pain, guilt, suffering, and sin. And friends, he's not done yet. For what Jesus began on the cross, he will complete in glory. For as we see in Revelation 6.10, the souls of those who had been slain cry out under the altar. How long, sovereign Lord, holy and true, until you judge the inhabitants of the earth and avenge our blood? We see Jesus answer the cries of the entire creation in Revelation 21, 4 through 5. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. He who is seated on the throne says, I am making everything new. Is there no end? How long? I'm going to invite all of us to stand up this morning. If this is where you are at today, if you need a rescuer, a redeemer, to listen to your cries of pain and to put an end to your suffering, please come forward as we begin singing this last song. There will be pastors here, and I will be down here, and friends with yellow lanyards are going to be down here who would love to help bear that burden to help lead you to our Redeemer. For we have a Savior. You know? We have a Redeemer. His name is Jesus. And when he when he crawled up on that cross all those years ago to take on all of the pain and suffering and junk that this world has to offer, he shouted his answer to our cries of pain. It is finished. And that, my friends, that's the end.